0: You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is a special version of the podcast. This is version 50, so it is a milestone. I appreciate everyone who's tuned in. Uh, over the last 49 episodes, and who's tuning into this 50th episode, I definitely appreciate it. And um, you guys are the reason that I continue to do this. But uh, we got a busy episode here. The 50th episode is definitely very busy. Uh, we've got a lot of golf to recap. Uh, Major League Baseball is winding down, end of the regular season, playoff races heating up. And of course, training camp in the NFL preseason is officially over. Which means the regular season is about to start. So, we will have a full NFL preview for you on this episode as well, with my predictions of who's going to win the divisions this year. So, again, very busy, a lot of news to get into as well. We'll start off in the PGA Tour, and we'll go all the way back a few weeks ago the Wyndham Championship, which was at Sedgefield Country Club in Greensboro, North Carolina a par 70 distance was 7,131 yards. This was a very good tournament. Uh, not a whole lot of big names teed it up in this thing, but it ended up being pretty dang competitive because there was a six way tie for the lead at 15 under par. When it was all said and done, there were six guys at 15 under, went into a playoff hole or uh, a sudden death playoff. The six golfers that made the playoff were Kevin Kissner, Roger Sloan, Adam Scott, Brendan Grace, Kevin Na, and Siwoo Kim. And all six of them parred the 18th hole that they replayed. They moved on, uh, well, they stayed on the, on the 18th hole. And on that second playoff hole, Kevin Kistner, uh walked away with a birdie, which made him the winner in the second playoff hole. And uh, just good tournament all around. It was Kistner's first win in a while. Bumped him up in the FedEx Cup standings. Uh, Just, again, all around good tournament. I know that was a few weeks ago, so you might not have remembered that. But that was the last tournament of the PGA Tour's uh, quote-unquote regular season. So the next tournament was the following week. That was the Northern Trust, which was the first tournament FedEx Cup playoff event that was held at Liberty National Golf Club in Jersey City, New Jersey, which was just an unbelievable scenic view. Uh, The course is a par 71, distance was 7,410 yards. And uh, just again, it was right, it's on the the Jersey side of of New York City, but your view from the course, from all the fairways, you could see downtown New York City uh, nice and clear from the fairways. It was just, again, just very cool to see and watch. The first three rounds went pretty smooth, and then uh, the fourth round ended up getting postponed by a day due to Tropical Storm Henry. And it's a good thing that they postponed it, uh, because on Sunday that weekend, the course got nine inches of water uh, from the rain. But the good news is that it drained really well and the grounds crew at Liberty National Golf Club did an unbelievable job of getting the course ready to play on Monday for the final round. They got all the bunkers dried out enough, got the course and the greens pressed, get all the, the water out that didn't drain, and uh, just very impressive. Uh, uh, put a very impressive show uh, by the grounds crew there at Liberty National. But when it was all said and done, we had two golfers uh, tied at 20 under par. And that was Tony Finau and Cameron Smith. Now Cameron Smith ended up shooting, uh, he got to 20 under because in round three on Saturday, he ended up shooting an 11 under round of 60. Uh, Just an unbelievable performance by Cam Smith there. Uh, Phenomenal round. Bo- of course, it was bogey-free, a round of 60. He got him to 20 under par. And uh, Tony Finau, this dude, man, he has been all over the top five and top ten in a lot of tournaments, majors included. Yeah, he's He has not won uh, in about five years, and in the playoff hole, They replayed the 18th hole and on the tee shot, Cameron Smith sent his into the water and Finau put his in the middle of the fairway, which made it an easy par for Tony Finau. He captured his first victory in 1,975 days, which is crazy because uh, since Finau's last victory on tour, he has made over $20 million in total winnings, which... Is a lot. Obviously, you have to finish near the top of your tournaments if you're making twenty million dollars in five years, basically, uh, on tour. So that was uh, definitely good for Tony Finau. Uh, John Rahm finished third at eighteen under par, and there was a three-way tie for fourth at fifteen under par with Alex Noren, Tom Hoagie, and Justin Thomas. So good to see Justin Thomas back in the top five. Uh, He hasn't really played that well since winning the Players' Championship several months ago. So good to see him back up there. And then John Rahm, like I mentioned, finished third. Dude's been an absolute machine. He's the number one golfer in the world, and you can see that week in and week out. The the dude is just uh, consistently near the the top of the leaderboard. Um, Unquestionably the top golfer in the world at the moment. So that brings us to this past weekend's tournament, which was the BMW Championship. That was the uh, second playoff event for the FedEx Cup playoffs. That was held at the Caves Valley Golf Club in Baltimore, Maryland. Par 72 distance was 7,542 yards. And speaking of John Rom, he won this event last year. But this event. I didn't think the scores were going to be anywhere near as low as they were at the Northern Trust when uh, Finau and Smith shot 20 under par. I didn't think that the guys would get to this uh, that low of a score this weekend. Caves Valley is known uh, to be difficult at times, and boy, uh, was I wrong in my uh, assumption that they wouldn't catch those scores because there were... Uh, Eight golfers that were at least twenty under par. Uh, seven golfers. My apologies. Seven golfers were twenty under par. Patrick Cantlay, Bryson DeChambeau, Sung J. M., Rory McIlroy, Eric Van Royen, Dustin Johnson, and Sergio Garcia were all twenty under par or better. Now, let me back up and say the top uh, seventy-five golfers in the FedEx Cup standings after the Northern Trust moved on to the BMW Championship. So it was a small field and uh, there were no cuts in this event. Uh, All the golfers played all four rounds. Um, But I mentioned the six guys that were 20 under or better. Uh, There was a tie. This was the fourth consecutive golf tournament on tour that ended up in a playoff. Uh, which is pretty impressive. That's We've had some real competitive golf lately on the PGA Tour, which has made it very interesting, very fun to watch. So the BMW Championship goes into a playoff, and the, the two guys that were in the playoffs were Patrick Cantlay and Bryson DeChambeau. They both had a score of 27 under par through four rounds, which is absolutely unbelievable. Um, that's I would not have guessed anywhere near that. Um, they both ended up... Uh, they were actually tied after the third round. They were in the final pairing. So they played together all all day on Sunday. And they ended up shooting both a 66, a 6 under 66 on Sunday, both of them did, to get into that playoff. And they had quite the playoffs. They ended up going six holes. They played the 18th, 18th, 17th, 18th, 17th, 18th, before it was finally done. And on that sixth playoff hole, Patrick Cantlay drained about a 17-foot birdie putt uphill, just hammered the ball, ended up going in. Bryson DeChambeau missed his birdie putt, which gave Cantlay the victory. Now... I will say Bryson DeChambeau had ample opportunities to win this thing. Um, On the first, I believe it was the first three playoff holes, uh, they played the 18th twice in a row and then the par 3 17th. On all three of those holes, he actually had a chance to uh, birdie uh, with his putts, and he just missed the putt. And then on the uh, 18th, it was the fourth playoff hole, it was the 18th hole, Bryson actually put his tee shot in the water and somehow ended up making par on that. Just an unbelievable uh third shot after he plunked it and uh put it, you know, within about six or seven feet. It was an unbelievable shot. And uh Cantley also parred that hole. Then they both birdied the par three seventeenth. But I just it was it was almost painful to watch Bryson DeChambeau miss as many of those putts uh, I mean he had two that rolled right over the edge uh, there in the playoffs which uh, obviously cost him the victory and uh, the number one seed in the FedEx Cup playoffs because with that victory uh, Cantlay jumped up to the number one spot in the FedEx Cup standings which is important because this weekend's golf tournament is the Tour Championship and that's held at the East Lake Golf Club in Atlanta, Georgia it's a par 70 distance to 7,346 yards. Now the cool thing about the Tour championship is that it's only 30 golfers. It's the top 30 golfers in the FedEx Cup playoff standings that uh, are in the field. So it's only a 30 golfer field, and the scores are staggered, okay? So out of the 30 golfers, you have, and it's st- the scores are staggered by your place in the FedEx Cup standings. All right. So Patrick Cantlay finished atop the FedEx Cup standings. He starts this tournament with a score of ten under par. Tony Finau is second in the standings. He starts this tournament with a score of eight under par. Bryson DeChambeau will start with a score of seven under par. John Rahm will start with a score of six under par. Cam Smith will start with a score of five under par. Then you have a group of five golfers, Justin Thomas, Harris English, Abraham Answer, Jordan Spieth, Sam Burns. They will all start at four under par. Another group of five, Colin Morikawa, Sung J.M., Victor Hovland, Louis Oosthuizen, and Dustin Johnson that all are all starting at three under par. And then the group at two under par is Rory McIlroy, Xander Schauffele, Jason Kokrak, Kevin Na, Brooks Kepka. Then you have a group at one under par. Corey Connors, Hideki Matsuyama, Stuart Sink, Joaquin Neiman, Scotty Scheffler. And then the last group is starts at even par. Daniel Berger, Eric Van Royen, Sergio Garcia, Billy Horschel, and Patrick Reed. Now the tee times... They play in pairs because there's only 30 golfers, so they don't need to play in in trios. They get to play in pairs, and it's uh, late tee times. Of course, you can do that because you only have 30 golfers, and it goes basically uh, from Reed and Horschel on down to uh, Cantlay and Finau, okay? So Cantlay and Finau have the last tee times, and uh, Reed and Horschel have the first tee times. So... This is a very cool tournament. You know, I'm not a huge fan of um, staggering the scores like that, but I think it's, you know, just because Cantlay starting at 10 under par does not mean that he's going to win this thing, uh, definitely. We've seen golfers go the other way, you know, shoot over par, and then we've seen guys before in that 5, 6, even 4 under pack that uh, just shoot lights out and end up, end up winning so uh, it's obviously a great field of golfers uh, multiple multiple guys in this top 30 have won multiple times this year uh, Stewart Sink, Bryson DeChambeau both have two wins this year Patrick Cantlay with his win at the BMW championship got his third victory of the year which leads the PGA Tour so uh, just uh, like I said a great field that's going to be a good Good tournament to watch. I think, the, like I said, the golf this year has been absolutely unbelievable. We've had four tournaments in a row and, uh, end in playoffs, maybe five. I'd have to go back and look. But uh, either the last four, for sure the last four PGA Tour tournaments have ended up in a playoff. And uh, with the way that it's going, I don't see anything different on this. Um, I if, if, if you want a prediction for this, Uh, I'm going to go with John Rahm. He's sitting at six under par, so he'll start four shots back at Cantlay, which for Rahm is nothing. Uh, The dude is a birdie machine, uh, best golfer in the world, and when he's on, boy, it's a thing of beauty. He just makes golf look easy. So I'll predict that John Rahm wins. I think he's close enough to Cantlay, and he's good enough to overcome that four-shot deficit. So give me John Rahm to win the Tour Championship and the FedEx Cup. But again, I'll definitely be tuned into that tournament this weekend, as I'm sure you golf fans will be as well. But yeah, look forward to that. We'll have a a good recap on that uh, on on next episode. But we'll move on to Major League Baseball. We'll do a standings update there. It's been a few weeks, so we definitely have some movement in the divisions. Uh, Playoff races are getting tighter. We'll start off in the National League. In the NL East, the Atlanta Braves currently have a two-game lead in the division with a record of 71 and 63. The Philadelphia Phillies are 69 and 65. They did put together a uh, six-game winning streak here in the last last week and uh, are closing that gap. Atlanta still looks like the team to beat, but Phillies are making that interesting. The New York Mets have suddenly won five games in a row. They're up to five hundred at sixty-seven and sixty-seven. That's third in the division. Miami Marlins uh, fifty-six and seventy-nine, and the Washington Nationals are fifteen and a half games out of first place at fifty-five and seventy-eight. Six-game losing streak the Nationals have, and um, yeah, that division is gonna that's gonna come down to the wire. Uh, Phillies are. Uh, two games back of the Braves and the Mets with their little winning streak, they're only four games back of the Braves for first place. So uh, it's looking pretty interesting there in the NL East. Now in the NL Central, the Milwaukee Brewers are 82 and 54, ten game lead on the Cincinnati Reds, at, who are 72 and 64. The St. Louis Cardinals are 69 and 64. Cardinals are a game and a half back of the Reds and 11 and a half back of the Brewers so the NL Central is pretty much wrapped up uh, the Brewers are going to win the NL Central but the Reds and the Cardinals are both in wild card contention in fact we'll get into this in a minute but Cincinnati currently holds the top wild card spot uh, the Chicago Cubs are fourth in the NL Central 61 and 75 they've actually won four in a row They're looking uh, halfway decent right now, uh, which is a miracle considering uh, they had a complete fire sale at the deadline. And the Pittsburgh Pirates, they are last in the NL Central and uh, with a record of 48-87. and Sheesh, uh, they've been down there all year, not not expecting much else from them. Now, the National League West, this is... Has gone taking a it's taken a shocking turn really in the last few weeks. Uh, the The Los Angeles Dodgers have uh, overtaken the San Francisco Giants. In fact, they're both uh, they're both tied for first right now at eighty five and forty nine. They're currently playing a game that's in extra innings as we speak. But uh, the Giants have had control of this division for pretty much uh, the better part of all year. Uh, the Dodgers have finally caught them. They're both tied uh, atop the division. The what's the surprising part is the San Diego Padres. They're third. They're seventy-one and sixty-four, which is fourteen and a half games behind the Dodgers and the Giants. That's just outrageous. Uh, that team is way better than that. And for the longest time, that division, all three of those teams were separated by uh, less than three to five games most of the year and so here it is the Padres have really fallen back and they are struggling to maintain a hold of a wild card spot Uh, but the Colorado Rockies uh, are 62 and 73 and the Arizona Diamondbacks 45 and 91 the worst record in Major League Baseball now uh, interesting fact about the Diamondbacks okay Uh, pitcher Tyler Gilbert since the last episode He threw the 8th no-hitter of the season And it was his first career start In major leagues So pretty, pretty cool thing there For Tyler Gilbert of the Diamondbacks And the other, some other Diamondback news uh, Pitcher Caleb Smith He has been banned 10 games For a foreign substance that was found On his glove uh, There's only been a few of those Since that rule was implemented uh, But he is a victim of that new rule Uh, Not that it hurts them. Again, like I said, the Diamondbacks have the worst record in baseball. Now, since we just got done talking about the NL West, there was a game this past week between the Dodgers and the Padres, and this thing was an absolute marathon. It went 16 innings. The game lasted 5 hours and 49 minutes. There was a total of 19 pitchers that were used, and those 19 pitchers threw 489 pitches. The game ended at... Uh, 1 a.m. Pacific time, which is 4 a.m. Eastern time, and the Dodgers came out on top of that marathon uh, after back-and-forth leads. Just uh, what an unbelievable game that was. Uh, But again, the Padres, you know, they've they've been in a really bad spot here these last few weeks, going the wrong direction uh, at the wrong time. But uh, we'll look over now at the American League. And in the American League East, the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, they currently are atop the a- AL East at 85-50, and 50, which is a six-and-a-half game lead on the New York Yankees. Now, the Tampa Bay Rays, they've won eight out of their last ten. And a lot of their success here lately has been because of a... Young player by the name of Wander Franco. He got called up about a month and a half ago. He's an incredible shortstop. Uh, twenty, I think he's twenty years old, and uh, he had a twenty-nine game on base streak, which is an AL record by a player that's twenty years old or younger. So, he's been an integral part of that team. Now, the Rays themselves, they have become the second team in Major League Baseball history to have two calendar months with 21-plus wins uh, in the same season since the uh, the other, only other team to do it was the 2002 Oakland Athletics. So they've two calendar months with more than 21 wins, which is very good. Uh, you know, teams usually play about 26 to 28 games in a month, and uh, if you win 21 of them, that means you have a pretty good record that month. So it's the second time this year they've done that. The New York Yankees, like I mentioned, they're second place. They're six and a half games back of the Rays. They're 78 and 56. Uh, The trade deadline acquisitions are really proving to to be uh, worth it. Uh, They went on a a pretty good winning streak of, I think, 11 games at one point since the uh, last episode, Uh, but they have... uh, only won six out of their last ten. The Boston Red Sox are third place in the AL East at 78-59. and 59. They're a game and a half back of the Yankees and eight games back of the Rays. Now, Boston got some big a big boost in the last few weeks and they got pitcher Chris Sale back. Of course, he had Tommy John surgery and uh, is finally back in action. And in his third start of the season, Chris Sale through an immaculate inning, which is three strikeouts on nine pitches, okay? It's the third time in his career that he's done that, which is insane. Uh, and the only other pitcher in Major League Baseball history to have three immaculate innings was a guy by the name of Sandy Koufax. So Chris Sale is in really good company there uh, with that. The Toronto Blue Jays are fourth in the AL East at 71-62. They were my preseason pick to win the American League. Uh, that offense looks potent. They just had an unbelievable come-from-behind win uh, on Friday night this past week over the Oakland A's, winning uh, 11-10 to after being down 8-2. to um, They are five games back of the Red Sox for third place, 13 games back of the Rays for first. So it uh, looks like the best the Blue Jays can do is a wild card spot. and We'll get into where they're at in the wild card in just a minute. The Baltimore Orioles—they're forty-one and ninety-two—and I misspoke. I said the Diamondbacks have the worst record in baseball. It's the Baltimore Orioles. They are forty-one and ninety-two, and since the last episode, they went on a nineteen-game losing streak, and which is absolutely horrid. Uh, and then they actually won a couple games in a row after that. But this is the first time uh, in Major League Baseball history where there have been six instances of a team losing 12 straight games. Okay, the Chicago Cubs, the Texas Rangers, the Arizona Diamondbacks have done it twice, and the Baltimore Orioles have done it twice, uh, have 12-game losing streaks in the same season. So it has been a bad season for the bad teams, if that makes sense. Now, over in the American League Central... Well, so let me back up. The American League East, I think the Rays are going to hang on. Uh, Six and a half games for the Yankees to make up in the next couple weeks is going to be a lot. Um, So I think the Rays are going to hang on to that division. But um, we'll have to see on that. Now, over the American League Central, this thing is like the NL Central. It's pretty much wrapped up. The Chicago White Sox have been in cruise control in this division for the last uh, about three months or so, we'll say. They're 78 and 57. Nine and a half game lead on the Cleveland Indians, who are 67 and 65. The Detroit Tigers are third at 64 and 72. And Detroit Tigers player Miguel Cabrera, he had a milestone a couple weeks ago. He hit his 500th career home run, which makes him the 28th player to do so. And he's only one of two active players to hit 500 home runs. The other being, of course, Albert Pujols. And uh, Miguel Cabrera became the sixth foreign-born player to hit 500 home runs, and he's the only Venezuelan-born player to reach that mark. So congrats to Miggy on his 500th home run. He is uh, one of the best hitters the game has ever seen. He's going to finish with a career batting average well over 300. Uh, Just a great hitter all around. Uh, Kansas City Royals are fourth. AL Central at 60 and 74, and the Minnesota Twins are 58 and 76, last in the AL Central. Now in the American League West, uh, I think this is this division is probably over. Uh, the Houston Astros are 79 and 55. They have a five and a half game lead on the Oakland A's, who are 74 and 61. Now with Oakland, uh, the reason I say that This division's probably over. Uh, Oakland is probably not going to catch Houston. Houston's been playing all right baseball. And Oakland suffered a big loss. Their best pitcher this year, their all-star pitcher, Chris Bassett, he, a couple weeks ago, took a line drive straight to the face, was carted off the field. Uh, Luckily, it was only a cheek fracture. He had surgery to repair it, and he had the normal use of uh, his eyes and... uh, what not There were no other head injuries So good news for Bassett Bad news for Oakland uh, They are still in position To capture a wild card spot But uh, just a game behind the A's Are the Seattle Mariners At 73 and 62 They've won three in a row They're looking really good At the right time uh, Their offense is, is pretty deadly as well uh, They're six and a half back of Houston One game back of Oakland uh, that Those three spots are going to be, uh, that's going to come down to the wire. Now the LA Angels are fourth at 67 and 68. Uh, they've been 500 in their last 10. That's pretty much how their season's been. They've been a 500 team all year. Shohei Otani is going to be your American League MVP. Uh, the dude is terrific pitching, uh, even better hitting. He crossed over the 40 home run mark since the last episode uh, I think he's up to 43 home runs maybe. He's going to pass. Uh, I think that's third on the Angels' all-time list for home runs in a season. Uh, I think he's on pace for 52 home runs, I believe, the, the pace is. But either way, what he's doing this year is unprecedented. It's better than Babe Ruth. It's better than anything we've ever seen. Uh, the The guy is – he's literally doing Little League baseball in the majors. Uh Dominating at on the mound, dominating at the plate—just uh, it's it's pretty unbelievable to watch. But uh, last place in the AL West is my lonely Texas Rangers. They're forty-seven and eighty-seven. Uh, just just a horrid season, uh, and it's probably not going to get much better uh, next year. But just a quick look at the uh, wild card standings. Your current wild card teams in the National League, okay, the uh, Dodgers and the Giants, okay, whoever wins that game, like I said, there's a game going on right now, it's an extra innings, that team's going to be the first wild card, uh, because they'll be in second place in the uh, NL West, and the Cincinnati Reds currently own the other wild card spot. So the teams chasing are the San Diego Padres who are a half game back of the Reds, St. Louis Cardinals who are a game and a half back of the Reds, Philadelphia Phillies are 2 games back of the Reds, and the New York Mets are 4 games back of the Reds for that second wild card spot. So those are the teams that are going to be competing for that wild card spot. I have a feeling that San Diego is going to overtake Cincinnati. I just do not see the Reds Hanging on to that wild card spot. San Diego has way too much firepower to let the Reds beat him out, but uh, that's where the NL is. Over in the American League, your wild card holders at the moment, the New York Yankees have the first wild card spot, and the Boston Red Sox have the second wild card spot. The Red Sox are a game and a half back of the Yankees for that first wild card spot, and then the teams in the hunt. There's really only three teams that are in the hunt. And that's the Oakland A's, who are three games back of the Red Sox. The Seattle Mariners are four games back of the Red Sox. And the Toronto Blue Jays are five games back of the Red Sox for that second wild card spot. Those are really the only three teams that I could see uh, catching Boston and or the Yankees. The Cleveland Indians are eight and a half games back. I just do not see, they do not have the lineup to compete with those other three, uh, the A's, the Mariners, and the Blue Jays. So uh, definitely going to be uh, some I, – I think Seattle's putting together a good run. I can see them uh, overtaking Oakland here this week. Uh, Boston, though, with the addition of Chris Sale, they're going to be very tough to catch, uh, especially that lineup keeps hitting like they do. But uh, nonetheless, baseball season is winding down. Uh, just a handful of games left. It's going to be a photo finish. Uh, great season we've had so far, and I would expect it to continue on here through the last uh, few weeks of the season. But we'll move on to the National Football League, and the NFL's regular season is finally here, which is the best time of year. Uh, it's my favorite. Football season's my favorite time of the year. Been waiting for it all year. Uh, college football regular season got started last week when the NFL preseason got wrapped up. So now we're on to the regular season of the NFL. The opening game is Thursday, September 9th. My Dallas Cowboys travel to Tampa Bay to take on the defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which I'm not a fan of that game being the Cowboys opening game, but if we want to compete in the NFC, uh, the NFC runs through Tampa Bay. So uh, it'll be a good test. Now, I have a lot of NFL news to discuss in the Around the Island segment, which we'll get to immediately after this segment. Uh, I think I'm going to keep this segment strictly uh, predictions for the divisions. Okay. Um, we'll start off in the NFC. And my prediction for the NFC uh, I like the Los Angeles Rams to come out on top of this division. Uh, I think. They, uh, the addition of Matthew Stafford over Jared Goff's a big upgrade. And I like, uh, you know, they still have Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. And then on the defensive side, uh, you got the best defensive player in the game, Aaron Donald. Best corner in the game, Jalen Ramsey. Um, you know, two elite defensive players. I like the Rams to, to edge out the Seahawks and the 49ers. Uh, this division is going to be the most competitive division in football this year uh all four of these teams in theory could could uh you know compete for the playoffs um Seattle's good of course Seattle with Russ Wilson, DK Metcalf, healthy Chris Carson that team is always good. It seems like you can pencil the Seahawks in for at least 10 to 12 wins every year. So I uh, definitely like Seattle as well. Uh the San Francisco 49ers uh they get Nick Bosa back healthy ready to go Fred Warner their linebacker, has got a brand new contract he's ready to go Uh, Garoppolo is the starting quarterback for now but Trey Lance looked really good in the preseason and it's only a matter of time before Trey Lance takes over and I think with him at the helm and his rushing ability uh, that team is going to be hard to beat you know you got Raheem Mostert and they drafted um Trey Sermon out of Ohio State, big, bruising running back. So I think 49ers are going to be up there too. Uh, And then, of course, you have the Arizona Cardinals. Don't sleep on them. Kyler Murray, top 10 quarterback in the NFL. His rushing ability is elite. Uh, You know, you got DeAndre Hopkins. uh, Added A.J. Green in the offseason. Just an unbelievably talented offense. So that that whole division has a, a legit shot to make the playoffs. There is not a bad team in the NFC West, but I, I like the Rams to come out on top just simply because they added Matthew Stafford as their quarterback to a, a team that had 10 wins last year. Uh, and I just think Stafford's a better quarterback than Goff. Over in the NFC South, uh, I like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to win this division. Uh, I think... Uh, with, with Drew Brees gone in New Orleans, uh, I think this division belongs to Tampa Bay. It's theirs to lose. They return all 22 starters, uh, which is the first time that's ever been done. Unbelievable. For all 22 starters from a Super Bowl-winning team, uh, mind you. So uh, they are the defending champions. No signs of slowing down in Tom Brady. Give me the Buccaneers to win the NFC South. Then after that, I like New Orleans. Uh, Jameis Winston's the starter. I think he's, ob- he's obviously a better passer than Taysom Hill. Uh, you'll still see a lot of Taysom Hill. Uh, but Michael Thomas is out for the first six weeks. He starts the year on the pup list. So uh, because of that, I think the Saints are, are clearly in second place in that division. Next, I actually like the Carolina Panthers. Sam Darnold uh, is a great quarterback. He just never got a good chance uh in the Jets system. So now he's got Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey. Uh the team's loaded with weapons uh, on offense. The Panthers are. So I like the Panthers uh um, to be in third place, and then the Atlanta Falcons, uh they're coming off a of four and twelve year. Uh they drafted Kyle Pitts fourth overall. I think he'll he'll have some uh impact, obviously but they lost Julio Jones. Uh, still have Calvin Ridley, obviously, but I'm just not not a fan of the Falcons this year at all. Over in the NFC East, I got to take them. My, I think my Dallas Cowboys are going to win the division. This is an ugly division. Uh, unlike the NFC West, where there's not a bad team, this division has a couple of bad teams. Uh, the Cowboys are not one of those bad teams. Cowboys are actually a good team. Uh, offense is the top two or three offense in the league. And the defense is much improved from last year. Micah Parsons is the real deal. He's absolutely 100% legit. He's the odds-on favorite in Vegas to win Defensive Rookie of the Year. Would not surprise me if that happened. Give me the Cowboys to win the NFC East. I like the Washington football team right after that. Uh, That defense is frightening in Washington. Uh, Just uh, first-round pick after first-round pick. Chase Young's an absolute monster on that defense. Um, uh, I say Redskins. Washington football team I like to finish right behind Dallas. Third place in that division. I think the Giants only because they're getting Saquon Barkley back. Although between the Giants and the Eagles, it doesn't really matter. Um, Jalen Hurts for the Eagles is good. I like Jalen Hurts a lot. Uh, They drafted Devontae Smith in the first round. The Eagles did. Neither one of those teams are are pretty at all. Um, It would not surprise me if the Eagles finished third. Would not surprise me if the Giants finished third. But I do think the top two teams in that division are clearly Dallas and Washington. And after that, it really doesn't matter, especially for me being a Cowboys fan. Don't really care who else is in the division except Dallas. Now, in the NFC North, uh, Aaron Rodgers is back in town for the Packers, so give me Green Bay to win that division. Um, I do like Minnesota to finish second. I know Chicago drafted Justin Fields, uh, which we'll get into in a second. Uh, the Vikings, you got Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook. I like that offense a lot. Uh, the, the Vikings only had one less win than the Bears last year. Uh, I think the Bears are going to be in third in that division. Uh, Andy Dalton's their starting quarterback for the first week. I think the Bears are going to run into an issue because I think Dalton's probably going to start the first, second, and maybe the third game. But the problem is is uh, they may be 0-2 or 0-3 by the time Justin Fields takes the wheel. And, uh, and this competitive NFC with that NFC West looking just tough, Uh, those wild card spots are going to be at a premium and I just don't see the Bears as having enough gas to to compete with the top teams in that conference, so now the Lions, uh, the Detroit Lions they are just an absolute shell of a team they are going to be in last place, they're in full rebuild mode now over in the AFC, we'll start off in the AFC South Uh, I like the Tennessee Titans to win this division, right? Uh, You got 2,000 yard rusher and Derrick Henry. You got Tannehill as your quarterback. A.J. Brown, just an absolute beast of a receiver. Oh, and then you go out and add Julio Jones in the offseason as well. Yeah, give me the Titans to win the AFC South. Uh, Second place, I like the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, You got Carson Wentz instead of Phillip Rivers this year, uh, which is all right, I suppose. Jonathan Taylor as a top 10 running back in the NFL. Of course, you got Quentin Nelson, the best offensive guard in the league. And that defense you got Darius Leonard, a new contract. Uh, Kenny Moore as a corner. So they have some players, uh, the Colts do. I like for the Colts to finish second. Third place, I actually like the, the Jacksonville Jaguars. The 1 15 team from last year, they got the first overall pick in Trevor Lawrence. He looks legit. Uh, they got weapons all around him uh, on on the offense. LaVisca, Chenault, prime for a breakout year. So give me the Jaguars to finish third. And truthfully, I would not be surprised if they gave the Colts a run for their money uh, for second place in that division. And then the Houston Texans, there without Deshaun Watson, all his legal trouble, uh, the Texans, it would be a successful season for Houston if they won more than four games. Uh, I think... They won four games last year with Deshaun Watson. Uh, I do not see them winning more than probably two or three games. So it's going to be an ugly year in Houston for the Texans. Now, over in the AFC East, uh, I like the Buffalo Bills to repeat the division. Uh, Josh Allen, obviously, is an MVP candidate. Stephon Diggs, uh, one of the best receivers in the game. That defense is good. Um, Give me the Bills to win that division. Uh, I do like the Miami Dolphins to finish second in that division, just like last year. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa, Tagavi- uh, uh he's a good second year quarterback. They drafted his former teammate Jalen Waddell out of Alabama, first round. And uh, I just, I like what the Dolphins are doing. They got Miles Gaskin, he's a shifty running back. Uh, Miami's defense is pretty good too. Xavier Howard and Byron Jones two corners, some of the best in the game. Uh, I like Miami to surprise this year and um, make it a little closer for the bills than they than they would want. Uh, the New England Patriots after that they of course cut uh, Cam Newton. We'll get into that and in around the island. Mac Jones is their starter. Um, I, I I can see that of course they added Hunter Henry John U. Smith, Two good tight ends in the offseason. I can see them actually uh, competing for the division. Uh, I just, uh, I I like Miami's upside this year. Uh, It wouldn't shock me if the Patriots finished uh, in second. It would surprise me if the Patriots were finished first in that division, but over Buffalo. But I do think New England uh, made the right choice to go with Cam uh, or with Mac Jones over Cam Newton. So uh, I like the Patriots there. The Jets, uh, they are very much improved. Uh, Zach Wilson looks like he's the real deal as well. Uh, the Jets were 2-14 and 14 last year. Uh, I would expect the Jets to win five or six games this year. Uh, they, they are really improved on the offensive side of the football. They added Corey Davis as well to, for wide receivers. So uh, I like the Jets to improve, but I don't think it's going to be enough improvement to move them from the basement of the AFC East over in the slugfest that is the AFC North. This team or this division last year had three teams with 11 wins, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Cleveland. I think all three of those teams will be in the playoff hunt again this year. Uh, I think the Cleveland Browns are going to come out on top of this division uh, simply because they added Jadavia and Clowney on that defense They already has Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward. Uh, I, I just think... The Browns' overall depth, of course, Nick Chubb, he got a new contract. Kareem Hunt, Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham Jr. is healthy again after his ACL tear last year. I like the Cleveland Browns to win the AFC North. And then Pittsburgh and Baltimore, take your pick for second and third in that division. Uh, Those two teams are going to beat each other up. Uh, Lamar Jackson looks to rebound after a quote-unquote down year, the year after winning NFL MVP. Uh, Ravens' first-round pick, Rashad Bateman, is going to start the year on the pup. He's going to miss at least three weeks uh, with an injury. And the Pittsburgh Steelers, I love their first-round pick, running back Najee Harris from Alabama. I think he's going to be a difference maker. Um, Like I said, I think Cleveland's going to win the division narrowly and then take your pick between Pittsburgh and Baltimore for second and third. All three of those teams are going to compete for a playoff spot. The only team in that division that's not is the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, they do get Joe Burrow back to pair with former LSU teammate Jamar Chase, who has had a bit of an issue with drops here in the preseason, starting to worry some folks. But I do think that uh, the Bengals will probably be more improved than their four-win season last year, uh, although maybe not by much. I think six wins might be their cap this year, but – Either way, yeah, that division is going to come down to Pittsburgh, Baltimore, or Cleveland, one of those three teams. Now over in the AFC West, this is the Kansas City Chiefs. If there's ever a team to go 17-0, because remember, the regular season this year is 17 games, so if there's ever a team to go 17-0 and in the regular season, it's this Kansas City Chiefs team. Yeah, you got Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. Uh, That's pretty much all you need to know. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as well. But, yeah, the Chiefs are going to win this division. I like the Los Angeles Chargers to finish in second. Uh, Justin Herbert last year as a rookie, balled out. 3,600 yards, 34 touchdowns, something like that as a rookie, just out of nowhere. Chargers, um, you know, they got uh, good running back, situation. Austin Eckler uh, looks really good. He's healthy. Give me the Chargers to finish second. Uh, I like the Oakland Raiders to finish in third, and I don't feel confident about that at all uh, because Denver, the Denver Broncos, they have Teddy Bridgewater as their quarterback, but they also have two good running backs, Melvin Gordon and second-round rookie Javante Williams. They get a healthy Jerry Judy, healthy Cortland Sutton, the Broncos do. I like the Broncos to be a surprise team. Uh, I just don't know how consistent Bridgewater is going to be. Uh, Derek Carr seems to be a tad bit more consistent. Uh, but again, I like the Chiefs first, the Chargers second, and then kind of like the NFC East. Don't really care who's in third or fourth. That's kind of a take-your-pick. It wouldn't surprise me if Denver finished third uh, or fourth, and it wouldn't surprise me if Las Vegas Uh, Raiders finished third or fourth so you know, uh, like I said, that division that's pretty much locked up the Chiefs got that one uh, and then after that, I don't see either I I think the Chiefs are going to be the only team from that division to make the playoffs, I guess is what I'm trying to say Uh, but those are my predictions for this year's uh, divisions it's going to be a fantastic football year we're going to have full stands Uh, at the stadiums, just going to be an awesome football season. Football is the best time of year, and I am so glad that it is back. But we'll move over to our segment called Around the Island, and that's where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. We'll start off in the National Football League. I know we just got done talking about uh, the regular season preview and the predictions and whatnot, but there's quite a bit of news out of the NFL and uh, just kind of discuss the COVID situation. There's been several teams that have had multiple players already test positive for COVID get placed on the COVID reserve list. And uh, that is just going to be another major factor in this season uh, like it was last year. They have protocols in place, obviously, for vaccinated versus unvaccinated players. Of course, vaccinated players' time on the COVID list is less than a uh, unvaccinated player. But if we get a positive test, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, well, hell, even Wednesday, really. Basically, if you don't test positive immediately after the game, uh, then you're probably going to miss at least one game. So uh, there, there's quite a bit to figure out here. Uh, it's going to be uh, interesting to see how it develops and how many big name players get put on the COVID list uh, before a game. But definitely keep an eye on that the good news though through all this is that uh, all the stadiums are going to welcome fans back into it this year Uh, of course they'll they'll have protocols in place about wearing masks and whatnot being vaccinated or showing proof of vaccination or whatever but uh, the good news is that we'll have fans in the stadiums uh, unlike we did last year so that is good news but there's been some major injuries uh, during the preseason that we'll talk about just a few of them Uh, New York Jets defensive end Carl Lawson was a big offseason acquisition he suffered a torn Achilles of course he's out for the year and in that same practice oddly enough one of their safeties Zane Lewis tore his meniscus so uh, Zane Lewis isn't wasn't quite uh, as critical to that defense as Carl Lawson so the Jets losing Lawson uh, is a is a major major blow. They went out and actually traded for Shaq Lawson from the Houston Texans to replace him. Um, So tough break there for the Jets, who actually seem to have the most promising season ahead of them in the last several years. But um, the Jacksonville Jaguars, their first round draft, but of course they had the first overall pick in Trevor Lawrence. But then they had a, a pick later in the first round. They used that on Lawrence's teammate at Clemson, running back Travis Etienne. Well, Etn played in the final preseason game, and he suffered a Lisfranc injury, which is a mid-foot sprain that is requiring surgery, and that is going to end his rookie season before it even got started. And I know they had big plans for Etn to uh, split time with James Robinson and be the change of pace pass catching back. So that's a real tough break for Etn. I was looking forward to seeing him play. Uh, And then another major running back injury is from the Baltimore Ravens, uh, running back J.K. Dobbins. In that final preseason game, he got hit down low, ended up tearing his ACL, and that is going to end his season as well because he is due for surgery. So three major injuries, uh, you know, in the preseason. You hate to see it. Um, We still got guys coming back. You know, Saquon Barkley's been taking it easy. He's only 10 months removed from his ACL surgery. We're not even sure if he's going to be a full go, but yeah, we'll have to see on that. But uh, a couple of big-name big running backs are already done for the year. Uh, Some contract news that got done uh, during the last few weeks. Uh, The Seattle Seahawks, they agreed to a four-year, $70 million contract extension with safety Jamal Adams, which makes Jamal Adams the highest-paid safety in the league. Now Adams originally had some hesitation about the contract extension, possibly not being enough money, Uh, but then Adams actually came out and admitted that when he discussed it with his family, he got a text from his mother that told him that uh, he did not have anything left to prove on the field and that he needed to go ahead and sign the contract. So mama told him what to do, Adams went ahead and signed the contract, and here we are. He's still the highest paid safety in the league. Uh, the Carolina Panthers and wide receiver Robbie Anderson they agreed on a two-year, twenty-nine and a half million dollar extension, which is uh, has more than twenty million in guaranteed money. So that's good. That's a good amount there for Robbie Anderson, who uh, is probably going to have more success with Sam Darnold throwing the football than he did with Teddy Bridgewater. So that'll be interesting to see how much they use Anderson because they're paying him like a number one wide receiver. Uh, and in Minnesota, the Vikings have agreed on a four-year, $64 million contract extension with their all-pro safety, Harrison Smith. That makes Harrison Smith the second highest-paid safety in the league, just behind Jamal Adams. So his contract is uh, $6 million less, so about an average of uh, a little over $2 million or so a year, a little less than $2 million a year, a million and a half a year or so, Less than what Jamal Adams is making, so uh, some some money being handed out there. Um, quarterback battles. There was, you know, we've had a few quarterback competitions. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. They named Trevor Lawrence the first overall pick, their starting quarterback. Uh, the Denver Broncos named Teddy Bridgewater their starting quarterback over Drew Locke, and then the New Orleans Saints. That's been one of the hotly contested quarterback battles. They just came out and announced that Jameis Winston is going to be their starting quarterback for Week One. Although I do fully anticipate that Taysom Hill will receive a ton of design run plays in and around the goal line. Uh, some trades that went down uh, over the past couple weeks: the New England Patriots they traded former first-round pick Sony Michelle to the Los Angeles Rams in exchange for conditional 5th and 6th round picks so this provides a good reliable um, backup running back I guess you could say for the Rams since Cam Akers tore his Achilles uh, and is out for the year um, you know they have Daryl Henderson who they plan on using as their main running back but Sonny Michel uh, he's first round pedigree he's a good running back and I think he'll he'll compliment Daryl Henderson nicely The Patriots weren't done there because they also went out and traded for rookie corner Sean Wade from the Baltimore Ravens in exchange for two late-round draft picks next year. That's very odd. You don't often see a team trade for a rookie player, um, especially one that they technically could have drafted just a couple months ago. But uh, part of the reason, we'll go back to the Jacksonville Jaguars, part of the reason that they named Trevor Lawrence their starting quarterback, obviously he's a first-round pick. Generational talent. First overall pick, I should say. But after naming him their starter, they went ahead and they traded their backup quarterback, Gardner Minshew, to the Philadelphia Eagles in exchange for a conditional sixth-round pick in 2022. So they literally have no other uh, decent backup on their roster after trading away Minshew. That makes things interesting because Philadelphia, they named... Jalen Hurts their starting quarterback, as if there was any surprise with that. But now having Minshew as their backup to go along with Joe Flacco, I think the uh, the tolerance for Jalen Hurts uh, is going to be a lot lower than it was before they acquired Minshew. So uh, I don't, I don't think uh, if if Hurts starts to mess up, I don't think they'll have an issue putting Minshew in there. But uh, I do believe Hurts is going to uh, keep the starters job for the entirety of the season and while we're talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars their head coach Urban Meyer this past week he came out and said that uh, when the team made roster cuts we'll we'll get into those in a second uh, as far as uh, teams had to finalize their rosters when they made their roster cuts this week uh, Urban Meyer said that the team considered the players vaccination status uh, during the final cuts, which they were not supposed to do. Um, Meyer said that they considered that because of the more stringent COVID protocols that were imposed on unvaccinated players versus protocols for the vaccinated players. So, uh, you know, and I get it. I get why you would do that because you don't want your guys to miss any more time than need be. And if you've got two guys that are similar in skill set, one guy's vaccinated and one guy's not vaccinated, I would probably prefer the vaccinated individual as well. It uh, just makes things easier around the locker room, around the games, and if he somehow does test positive or whatnot, his stay on the COVID list is less time than it would be uh, for an unvaccinated player. So I completely understand his logic. But those comments sparked an investigation by the NFL Players Association. They came out and are Looking into the comments, and since the investigation was initiated by the NFLPA, the Jaguars have released a statement that said that their decisions were not made based on the players' vaccination status uh, solely. So um, they, they basically are covering their own ass, so to speak, uh, on what Urban Meyer said, which they can say what they want. If Urban came out and said it already, so the cat's out of the bag on that, they definitely looked at vaccination status uh, as as a determining factor on on final rosters. Which, again, I I would tend to agree with that. Uh, whether or not you're supposed to do it, it is what it is. I've if you've listened to this podcast long enough, you know that I'm a strong proponent of vaccination. Uh, I have mine. My family has theirs. I would encourage anyone to, to get it. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see it. You know, really being. A problem to, to pick, uh, picking somebody for your roster that is vaccinated versus somebody that's not. I think it would be more of an issue if you pick somebody that's not, truthfully. But uh, speaking of vaccination, the Atlanta Falcons came out and announced that their team is 100% fully vaccinated, which makes them the first NFL team to reach that milestone. I know my uh, Dallas Cowboys are somewhere in the 90th percentile. Uh, there there are other teams that probably will get to 100 before the end of the season, depending on uh, how many COVID trips uh, or COVID list trips that they uh, hand out during the year. But um, at least one team is 100% fully vaccinated. Now, I mentioned this a minute ago when talking about the Jaguars. The uh, final roster cuts have been made uh, for this season. The 53-man rosters were due this past week. There was uh, a few surprising cuts made by several teams, but none of them more surprising than the New England Patriots releasing quarterback Cam Newton. Uh, You figured Bill Belichick all offseason has said that uh, Cam Newton was their starting quarterback and that, uh, of course, they spent the 15th overall pick in the draft on Alabama quarterback Mac Jones, and Jones has done nothing but impress in training camp, OTAs, and the preseason put up way better numbers than Cam Newton in the preseason and has looked better most of training camp. But Bill Belichick steadily held to his guns and said that Cam Newton was the starter. And then they go to roster cuts and it's announced that Cam Newton, not only uh, is he not the starter, he just got flat out cut by the Patriots. So New England is giving the keys to the franchise uh, to Mac Jones, which... I agree. I think Jones is a better, a better quarterback for the Patriots system. We saw Cam Newton last year, uh, and that running offense that they tried to implement, and that's just not what it was. That offense under Tom Brady for twenty years was highly efficient and very productive in its own way, uh, albeit a complicated system. But I think Mac Jones uh, more resembles Tom Brady than Cam Newton does. So uh, I do believe that that is the right decision. Just very surprising to see. Cam Newton as a free agent right now. So we'll have to see where he ends up. Now, I came across this weird stat for the preseason. I mentioned it a couple episodes ago about the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, they have not lost a preseason game since 2015. They are 20-0 and in the last five years of preseason uh, football. Just unbelievable. That record, 20-0 in the last 20 preseason games. They have not won a Super Bowl in that time frame, uh, but hey, they have 20 preseason wins in a row. I guess that's slightly impressive. Now, the New Orleans Saints, of course, everybody knows Hurricane Ida hit New Orleans very hard this past week, and the Saints, they were able to, before the storm, they were able to get out, travel to Dallas, and uh, before the storm hit, and they've been practicing at AT AT&T Stadium here in Arlington, Texas. And we're home of the Cowboys, of course. So they've been practicing there. Well, it was announced this past week that the Saints' week one quote-unquote home game against the Green Bay Packers is being relocated to TIAA Bank Field in Jacksonville, Florida, which is where the Jacksonville Jaguars play. So it is technically listed as a home game for the Saints, but they will be playing in Florida. So you got to figure how that's going to affect them. Uh, Green Bay obviously that's a tough way to start your season especially when you're when you should be playing in your home stadium but uh yeah we'll have to see how many weeks the uh, saints are displaced that's something worth keeping an eye on because that gives uh, that's really a disadvantage for the saints uh, but yeah keep an eye on that but move over to the National Hockey League and uh, some news there uh, the NHL this past uh, week or two announced that starting in the 2022 2023 season, so not this upcoming season, but the next, the teams are going to be able to have advertisements on their jerseys. Now, the NBA has allowed jersey advertisements since 2017, so you knew that the NHL was going to follow suit at some point, point. and the NHL began to allow advertisements on their helmets this past season. You probably have seen those if you watch hockey. Uh, and that'll be continued again this season, but uh, two seasons from now, the jerseys are going to have advertisements on them. Now, these jersey advertisements, they're going to be featured in a three-inch by three-and-a-half-inch rectangle, which is larger than the NBA's jersey advertisements, which are two-and-a-half inches by two-and-a-half inches. And the placement of the ads is going to be left up to the individual teams, since all jerseys have different designs and different logos. So, I just thought that was an interesting note. Uh, a couple years from now, we'll start seeing advertisements on jerseys, and before we know it, the jerseys are going to look like the European jerseys, where they have advertisements all over them. But there were a few. Pretty big, uh, significant contract extensions handed out in the NHL over the past couple weeks. The first one, the Carolina Hurricanes, they re-signed forward Andre Svechnikov to an eight-year, $62 million contract extension, locked him up. He was a very high draft pick just a couple years ago. Uh, And following in that, the Philadelphia Flyers, they gave their first-line center, Sean Couturier, the same exact extension of eight years and $62 million, which is an average annual value of $7.75 million. So a lot of money handed out there. And uh, Minnesota Wild, they, uh, their rookie, Kirill Kaprizov, just won the Calder Trophy this past season as the NHL's top rookie. Uh, very impressive player. It was rumored that uh, he might not re-sign with the Wild and that he might head back over to Russia to go play in the KHL. Well, I read something that says the preliminary terms of a contract extension uh, have been agreed to by the Wild and Kaprazov, And the terms are for five years and $45 million, which is $9 million as an average annual value, which is higher than those two that we just talked about. That's a lot of money. Uh, Kaprazoff is a young kid, very talented, and I uh, certainly think uh, if, if the Wild want to contend in uh, the next couple years, I certainly think they need Kaprazov in their lineup to do that. So uh, $9 million a year for Kaprazoff is what it's looking like. The St. Louis Blues, they agreed to an eight-year, $52 million contract extension with their big defenseman Colton Pareco. Uh, He was uh, an integral part of their Stanley Cup winning team just a couple seasons ago, and uh, he is in St. Louis to stay for at least the next eight years. Now, from contract extensions to a retirement, uh, longtime New York Rangers goaltender Henrik Lundqvist, uh, King Henrik, has announced his retirement from the NHL after a 15-year career. Uh, Past couple years, he's been dealing with a health issue, hasn't really been able to play He is 39 years old, he's been a five-time NHL All-Star, and he won the Vesna Trophy as the league's top goalie in the 2011-2012 season. So, uh, very impressive career uh, by Henrik Lundqvist. He's also an Olympic medalist with uh, Team Sweden and a couple different Olympics. So, very impressive uh, resume for Henrik Lundqvist. Uh, I, I do see him possibly uh, getting into the uh, NHL Hall of Fame at some point, uh, but uh, going to be sad to see him not in a Rangers uniform. Um, uh, like I said, just a very good career for, for King Henrik. We'll move over now to Major League Baseball. Uh, of course, we have already talked about the standings updates and uh, given you a little uh, playoff preview of, of how it's looking right now, but... Uh, the Major League Baseball released the 2021 postseason schedule, just a, a rough outline of when the games are going to be played. October 5th and 6th are your AL and NL wildcard games, and then the uh, division series, they begin on October 7th. So I believe the AL plays October 5th, NL October 6th, and then October 7th is when your AL and NLDS DS series start. October 15th, the league championship series uh, are going to start. And then October 26th is when the World Series starts. So uh, that is kind of a rough outline of, of how things are, are going to shape out here in the uh, baseball playoffs as far as series and whatnot. But uh, I talked about the Field of Dreams game uh, on last episode, and it was announced that the Field of Dreams game was a record-breaking event in terms of televised uh, audience. And the uh, Major League Baseball announced that uh, because of the record-breaking audience on TV, they are returning to Dyersville, Iowa next season to play a Field of Dreams game between the Cincinnati Reds and the Chicago Cubs. And that is going to be held on August the 11th of 2022 so uh, I got to catch part of that game it was very cool loved the throwback uniforms loved the field uh, very cool setting just the whole scene in general was uh, amazing the MLB definitely hit a home run with that and so I'm looking forward to seeing that game again next year I have a feeling that that's going to be uh, a fixture on the Major League Baseball calendar for years to come But the final piece of MLB news here and around the island uh, is also a retirement, just like the NHL, longtime fixture in Major League Baseball, St. Louis Cardinals catcher Yadier Molina. He uh, has agreed to a one-year contract extension with the Cardinals for next season, and he announced that uh, when he signed that contract that that is going to be his final season in Major League Baseball and that he is going to be retiring at the end of next year. So again... He's a surefire Hall of Famer in Major League Baseball, one of the best catchers to ever play the game. Uh, Great bat, got an absolute cannon for an arm, so I would expect he would be in the Hall of Fame uh, very shortly after he's eligible to do so. But move on to the National Basketball Association. Got uh, some off-season news to go over there. We'll start off with a couple of trades that happened. Uh, The Los Angeles Clippers, they traded Patrick Beverly, Rajan Rondo, Daniel Oturu, to the Memphis Grizzlies for Eric Bledsoe. And then Memphis immediately traded Patrick Beverly to the Minnesota Timberwolves in exchange for Jarrett Culver and Juan Hernan Gomez. Now, Memphis also waived Rajan Rondo, who has re-signed with the Los Angeles Lakers. So, kind of a lot of movement there. Uh, in that short little time frame, but we also had a three-way trade between the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Chicago Bulls, and the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, The Cavaliers got Laurie Markkinen, big power forward there, uh, good shooter, Uh, he's young, he adds to that good young core in Cleveland. Uh, The Portland Trailblazers got Larry Nance Jr., and the Chicago Bulls got Derek Jones Jr. So big three-way trade there. A couple of uh, free agent uh, re-signings, I guess you could say. Philadelphia 76ers, they re-signed uh, their all all NBA center Joel Embiid to a 4-year, $196 million supermax extension. You know, there there's been talk now here lately that Ben Simmons has requested a trade and uh, I would assume that he's probably going to get it. Uh, But, yeah, Joel Embiid is the guy you want to build that franchise around moving forward. Uh, Maybe keep Tobias Harris around as well. Uh, Simmons is not really a good scorer, more of a good defender. But, uh, yeah, Joel Embiid locked up for the next uh, four years, almost $200 million there. Uh, The Boston Celtics, they re-signed forward Marcus Smart to a four-year, $77 million contract extension. There's a chance Smart could have gotten more money uh, if he'd have tested the open market. Uh, He is a good good forward, uh, plays both ways, Uh, good on offense, solid on defense, relentless around the rim, so there's a chance that a team would have shelled out uh, maybe a a tad more money for him, but uh, he likes Boston. He said he wanted to stay in Boston, so that he does for four years and almost $80 million. Now, the NBA, they also, in this last couple of weeks, they released their Christmas Day game schedule. Which, as you know of the NBA, uh, one of the traditions they have is playing all day on Christmas Day. You know, it's about mid-season for their, eh, I guess not mid-season, it's a couple months into the season, Christmas. And uh, they got five games going on Christmas Day, starting out at noon Eastern The Atlanta Hawks and the New York Knicks at 2.30 Eastern. The Boston Celtics and the defending NBA champion Milwaukee Bucks. At 5 p.m. Eastern, the Golden State Warriors and the defending Western Conference champion Phoenix Suns. At 8 p.m. Eastern, the Brooklyn Nets and the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, That might be just a preview of the NBA Finals. Uh, In my opinion, I think that's probably uh, the case best team in the East versus the best team in the West, at least on paper to start the year. And then the night cap is at 10.30 p.m. Eastern, and that's the Dallas Mavericks and the Utah Jazz. we got a lot of good young players in that game as well. So there's five really good games uh, on Christmas Day for the NBA. They obviously did that on purpose. Uh, that's a showcase day for the NBA. And so they uh, they got all the bright young stars of the NBA Uh, you'll be able to catch all them on Christmas Day. Now, speaking of the Dallas Mavericks, they're in that nightcap on Christmas. They actually have just hired female coach Christy Tolliver to be one of their assistant coaches. Now, Christy Tolliver currently plays for the Los Angeles Sparks in the WNBA, but she has spent two seasons, uh, the past two seasons, I think, as the Washington Wizards assistant coach, somewhere on their coaching staff. So, Uh, Interesting uh, that she's playing and coaching, and um, I know she's excited to join the Mavericks. Uh, The final piece of NBA news deals with uh, some important news for next season, and that is the fact that uh, the NBA has struck a deal with the NBA Referees Association that is going to require all NBA referees to be vaccinated for the games next season. And this agreement came one day after the league announced that anyone within close proximity, which they define as 15 feet, uh, of players or referees would need to be vaccinated. So we're talking all staff members of the team, coaches, players, uh, basically uh, referees as well, anybody that gets within 15 feet of the players uh, needs to be vaccinated, which I would assume would also include fans to a certain extent, at least the courtside seats. So interesting to see how they uh, enforce that with the fans. But uh, the referees will be getting vaccinated uh, in the NBA, which is good. I mean, basketball, you're all up in each other's grill. Uh, so I think that probably is maybe a little more necessary for basketball than, than other sports. But, um, yeah, so that'll be that might be a precedent. Uh, That might be uh, getting set there with the NBA. I think other leagues will probably follow suit uh, at some point. But we'll move on to the NCAA and some more major news out of uh, NCAA, specifically college football, and it's regarding the conference realignment. Now, in the last couple episodes, I've discussed how the University of Texas and Oklahoma University have uh, already officially become members of the SEC starting in the year 2025. Now, I do believe, as I mentioned previously, that due to the money and other uh, powers that be, I would expect that Texas and OU get moved to the SEC on a buyout sooner than 2025. I'm guessing start of next year, the 2022 uh, college football season, but it's to include all sports. Uh, But the big news that came out after this is the fact that the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12 have officially announced an alliance to collaborate on, quote, future evolution of college athletics and scheduling. So this was absolutely in response to Texas and OU leaving the Big 12 and heading to the SEC because that makes the SEC have 16 teams. It's an absolute power conference. You have uh, major, major college athletics programs in the SEC for various sports, uh, and adding Texas and OU only builds to that. So this was, this alliance that's formed uh, by the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12 is definitely in response to uh, the SEC getting stronger. Now, these three conferences that uh, that joined this alliance, uh, of course, felt like the SEC, like I mentioned, is is obviously um, like they got left out basically. And then sources, uh, based on some reports that I've read, have said that the Pac-12 was actually the most aggressive of those three conferences in forming and encouraging the alliance. So, which is interesting. Uh, you know, the Pac-12 doesn't get as much love as it should. Uh, They do have good college programs uh, for athletics uh, in the Pac-12, but they're on the West Coast. All their games are televised real late uh, in any sport, so uh, they're kind of the forgotten conference. They've been left out of the college football playoff uh, pretty much every year, I think since it started. But um, that leaves this alliance leaves the Big Twelve just completely out to dry. Uh, Neither the alliance. Uh, of the three conferences, uh, nor uh, the SEC with Texas and OU has expressed any interest or reached out to any of the current teams that are remaining in the Big 12. Uh, Sands, Texas and OU. So, uh, you know, I've been a Big 12 guy, obviously, as a Texas Longhorns fan, so that leaves Texas uh, Tech, Baylor, TCU, uh, West Virginia, Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, that leaves them all Oklahoma State. They're all out to dry, so um, you know they've been left behind basically, because no other major conference has approached them about joining. And uh, they're, if they don't find a conference, they're going to be screwed. Uh, they're not going to get any recruits, and uh, for any of their athletics, really, any any high profile recruits that are. Uh, of course, they're gonna they're obviously gonna fill their scholarships with athletes, but. Uh, they will not be competitive in really any sport, and each one of those schools has a particular sport that they're that they're pretty decent at you know Kansas and basketball obviously is is really really good but um yeah it's going to be interesting to see how that that uh turns out but uh college football has officially started this uh this past weekend actually uh it was week zero in college football this weekend is week one uh here the weekend of September the 4th and 5th, Labor Day weekend. Uh, There's a lot of college football games on, uh, headlined by the number three versus number five Clemson-Georgia matchup in Atlanta. College game day is going to be there. But we have officially made it to college football. Just a great time. Uh, I love college football, the camaraderie, the schools, all that stuff, Uh, uh, the bands. College football is very awesome, and uh, it's going to be – uh, another great college football season. We got uh, fans back in the stands, so that adds another big element to it. Uh, so that is going to be awesome. Thank you, God, that college football is back. Well, NFL too, really, like we already talked about. NFL's back, but uh, yeah, football season is here, and uh, I am definitely ready to watch as many games as possible. Uh, but we'll finish up the Around the Island segment with uh, some news from the Little League World Series. Uh, That has been completed and your champion is the team from Taylor, Michigan. They beat the Ohio Little League team in the Little League World Series championship game 5-2 to to win the state's first Little League World Series title since 1959. So as uh, someone who is from Michigan, uh, I definitely was rooting for them to win uh, over Ohio. Uh, But uh, nonetheless, it's always fun to watch the Little League World Series. Those kids, you know, several of them will go on uh, to be in the uh, MLB. Uh, that pitcher from South Dakota, Gavin Weir, that kid, my goodness, uh, he is—he's going to be in the show if he keeps pitching like he like he has. That kid, go go look him up, go look his stats up. Gavin Weir from South Dakota, uh, just Google him and see what. Take a look at his stats. Know how many no hitters he threw how many strikeouts he had and versus the innings pitched. The kid is unbelievable. But uh, that's going to do it for the 50th episode of the Sports Island Podcast. Uh, I do appreciate you guys tuning in. Like I said, being a part of all 50 of these episodes means a lot. You guys are the reason I keep doing it. So uh, we'll get you caught up on uh, some, some NFL, some college football, and another standings update in Major League Baseball uh, here on the next episode. But until then, stay safe. Be well, and we'll catch you on Sports Island next time.